Beloved, we give our eyes and our hearts to Revelation chapter 3 in God's holy word this evening, verses 14 through 19. Uh, I'm, I want to read the whole letter to the church of Laodicea. Uh, I want to have the context, but I'm actually mainly focusing on verse, teen, verse, excuse me, verse 15 with you this evening. Verse 14 as well is a little bit of repetition there. Uh, so that's why we're here tonight, but I'd like to read the whole letter. Now remember in Revelation, it opens after this tremendous image of Jesus Christ and that he is walking in the midst of the candlesticks, which represents the churches. He's in our presence, and may that definitely stir us up to be attentive as we just sang in the psalm and excited. He's in our midst speaking to us by his spirit. Uh, then there are these seven letters to the seven churches of Asia. Remember, John is writing from Patmos on the island. He's separated by the sea. That's significant for later when he says there'll be no more sea, you know, no separation from one another. It's on the Lord's day that he writes. That's important to recognize one of the references uh, to the Christian Sabbath in the spirit. Notice and there are these tremendous visions. The book of Revelation is to help the church carry on until the end, make it through persecution, make it through struggle, be so committed to the Lord that we might be willing to die for him if necessary. He does recognize faithful Antipas in these early seven, these seven letters early in the book. Someone who was a martyr literally died for him. That's why he's mentioned. Uh, we want to remember that this is because we have life and we have eternal life and a whole point of life and a whole eternal life to be looking forward to that makes sense of everything. This letter to Laodicea uh, is verses 14 to 19. That's the context. And then the, then the book, the revelation of Jesus Christ, it's about him and it's from him. And the message is ultimately that Jesus has won and in him we are winning and he's coming back. And everything going on in the world is exactly as he has planned and exactly as he is executing it. To this great certitude and conviction and excitement in him. But that there would remain... This is the concern with the church of Laodicea. We'll read Revelation 3, 14 to 19 with a focus on verse 15. Hear now the word of the Lord. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed. And that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. May the Lord bless the reading and the hearing of this word. 
and the loving of it and the loving to live it. You might think about the fact that he's saying, you think you're so rich, but you're poor. He says, you're actually naked. You know, buy of me that you have clothes. I mean, just consider if one seemed to be sleepy or disinterested or a little bit apathetic, and then it was pointed out to them, uh, why are you not wearing any clothes? Their response would probably not be, hmm? oh, no, look at that. <laughs> It'd be, oh, <laughs> right, you know? And that's what the Lord wants to do. Wake us up. Get our attention. Make zeal that we don't make sure we don't lose our zeal for him. Yesterday, as you know, I was driving back from Pasadena, having brought Olivia back to college. And at one point, I decided to drink something I've noticed has been hanging around in our, our van for a little while, uh, a Pediasure. I said, well, I hadn't really had, you know, I had a couple cheese sticks and apple, you know, I thought, oh, I'll just down this Pediasure and that'll last me a while. And that'll try to help me from needing to stop and get something to eat. It had been left in the car, and as soon as I took a sip, I spit it right back. And actually, my next response was, ah, ah. I, I'm telling that to you. I guess I should have kept it to myself. I thought, I must look pretty ridiculous if anyone's near my window. It's like, ah. Right back in the bottle, it was rancid. It had this weird carbonation, I guess you would say fermentation. It had been left there too long, and here's the thing. It was not kept cold. It was not refrigerated. It hadn't been heated like hot chocolate. It was lukewarm. And so I did not let that linger on my tongue very long. I didn't leave it in my mouth. It never reached my throat. It was this immediate, like, Ugh. That's what happens. That's the kind of thing it is. It's why we don't drink pond water, for instance. It's just lukewarm. It's just stuff that's not good for you grows on it. It's not, you would never want to say, hey, pass me a cup of pond water, for, for, please. I'm thirsty. Right? And if somebody gave to you, what is this? Not because it's burning. Not because it's ice cold on your tongue. But because it's just, bleh. I'm not going to drink this. Jesus warns this is what he will do with churches and Christians who become lukewarm and their lives are spiritually stagnant. Jesus insists that Christians are to be fervently refreshing or earnestly reviving if they are to be of any use to him in ministry. Maybe he's writing to the seven churches. He's writing to the churches that are to be giving a witness for him, discipling people for him. And there's a way to go about if it's real or if it's going to be dynamic and grow. Certainly in and out of season, but with the same commitment or hot or cold, but not lukewarm. I give that to you the idea of what we're focusing on in the text today in its context. Jesus insists that Christians are to be fervently refreshing or earnestly reviving if they are to be any use to him in ministry. And I submit to you that has a lot to do with whether we seek and put his kingdom first. I submit to you that has a lot to do with how much we're concerned about what the world will think of us and how much we want the world and how much we're willing to sacrifice such because we can't deny our Jesus. He's everything. He always comes first. William Hendrickson writes in the Bible on the life hereafter. He writes this about the Laodiceans. Their attitude was that of lukewarmness. 
They were too busy with earthly matters pertaining to the spiritual realm. Whenever anyone spoke about the blessed hope, their hearts did not begin to throb with joy. Neither did their souls begin to be consumed with longing, with joyful anticipation. Their eyes did not attempt to pierce the clouds. Neither did they strain their ears to hear the joyful sounds of the angel's trumpet. When anyone held out to them the prospect of complete deliverance from sin and the curse, this message of cheer did not produce in them the response of gratitude and praise. In fact, they were not deeply concerned with their own sinfulness. They had arrived. I'm good where I'm in. I, there's no need for me to be worried about getting all excited and zealous. I've been doing this a long time. I know what I'm doing. I've arrived. When we're supposed to be always arriving, always being converted more and more transformed. Years ago, uh, 2012 actually, I, at least part of 2012, December 5th, I taught on this chapter when on Wednesday nights we went through the book of Revelation. You can go to Sermon Audio to listen to all that. I'd like to share a little bit of that lecture as it relates to what we're focusing on this evening. Uh, but it was on Revelation 3, uh, 14 to 22, and uh, it, was, it was all about the letter to Laodicea, and the message was open up and let Christ in, or he will puke you out. Let me give you a, a few things from that study for review. Laodicea in other scriptures, Colossians 2 verse 1, 4, 13 to 16, 1 Timothy 6 to 21, it's interesting. They receive the most severe letters. Just as this is a pretty severe letter. And by the way, it's the last one. There's an interesting bookend from this one in the, in the first letter in Revelation. But these other letters, they seem to get the most severe criticism uh, from Christ and his apostles. They just don't seem to care that much. In this verse, verse 15, let me, let me read it for you again, 315 of Revelation. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. And I should have said verses 15 and 16. Verse 16 is, uh, is really the, the main point here that we're looking at. But here we see... Uh, Jesus takes their spiritual temperature. They're not hot. And they're not cold. That is, they are indifferent and compromising. Ramsey writes, Laodicea is the adaptable city because it has no strongly pronounced character of its own. Such a nature would be suited for the successful commercial city, which it was. But such a nature would least commend the city to St. John. Laodicea must appear to him undecided, devoid of initiative, pliable, irresolute, and unsatisfactory. Too easy to go the flow because that's best for business. You know, there are other things said in these letters about you need to be willing to suffer 
You need to be willing to say Jesus is Lord when it matters. You know, there was a lot of danger of seeing some of the letters of maybe being missing out on being part of what would be necessary for certain kinds of unions, missing out or being uh, perhaps persecuted by the government if you're not willing to just treat him as he's Lord, along with Jesus can be Lord too. That's where Jesus is Lord really seems to come from, just insisting Caesar is not Lord, Jesus alone is Lord. But Laodicea would probably play it safe. Laodicea would probably, you know. It's occurring to me that one of you who have shared about a certain professor may need to review the letter to Laodicea. They are cold. They're not frozen. Think of this, the benefit of cold. Whosoever shall give drink unto one of these little ones a cup of cold water only in the name of a disciple. Verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. Jesus says that in Matthew 10, 42. So this idea of a cup of cold water, right? If you're running and you're tired and you're thirsty, you don't want a cup of hot water, right? If you're maybe in the snow, a cup of hot chocolate or warm tea would be helpful. But uh, you want cold when you're thirsty and you're hot. So you see, cold doesn't mean like cold, frozen, chosen. It means refreshing. Uh, it be that, but not lukewarm, right? You, know, you drink a lukewarm drink when you're thirsty. I mean, I know that there could be benefits of not too cold water, this or that, but we generally like ice cold, right? You know, like the ice cold, ah. Herman Hooksima says this, the Lord employs a figure to describe the condition of the church in Laodicea. It is the figure of a drink of water. A hot drink is pleasing to the taste and recuperating in its effect. A cold drink is refreshing and delicious, but a lukewarm drink is disgusting to him who swallows it. It turns the stomach. It is sickening. It has a nauseating effect. Well, then, by this figure, the Lord describes the general condition of the church and the impressions she makes upon him. In fact, what does he say he's going to do? I'm going to vomit you out. But this is, you know, when I sip the cup of Laodicea, I can almost not hold you in my mouth. I, can, I, can, I can't drink it, <laughs> you know. That's the response. We don't want the Lord to respond to us like that because we simply don't care enough, you know. We're never willing to draw a line in the sand. We're never really ready to make a, yes, this is my confession. Sign me down. I'll sign my name to it. You know, we're going to be the James one man back and forth as it fits the situation. We're never going to stick our neck out. We're never going to be dared to be called Puritans. Oh, perish the thought of that. You know, we're just going to play it safe. Nice middle of the road. Take it easy, man. Don't be so zealous. Don't be so Puritan. Don't be so problematic. Let's all get along, you know. Oh, beloved. Let this not be said of this church. Let this not be said of you. Let this not be said of me. Let this not be said of us. To be lukewarm, worthy of spitting out. Rather, exercise thyself unto godliness. 1 Timothy 4, verse 7. 
Colossians 3, verses 1 to 3. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. In John chapter 2, verse 17, Jesus sees in the temple the marketplace, the lack of a sense of preserving prayer and holiness. My, my house should be a house of prayer. And he's zealous. He does not like to see the church just looking like the marketplace. Go ahead and get your Starbucks coffee and, you know, what have you. Go ahead and buy your stuff you need. Don't wait till Monday, you know, as well be Sunday, I guess, there still. And uh, just go ahead and do what you need to do. And, and, and they said it reminded them the way Jesus responded to that lukewarmness in church. That looks almost like the world, almost indiscernible from the world. More like a movie theater than a temple. And come and go as you please. As we saw this morning in the Sabbath class, the average churchgoer today shows up once a month. That's lukewarmness, if best. It's not zeal for the Lord. Jesus responds passionately about this. This is not how we are to serve and worship God. This is not how we're supposed to come to church. In the world, but not of it. Not all of it in here in the temple. Violating the Sabbath right before the God of the Sabbath. And, in, and the response, the gospel says, they recalled Psalm 69 verse 9. The zeal of thine house has eaten me up or consumed me. Rather, may Psalm 119, verse 11, you sang this evening in all of its context, be on your heart. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. You can think of that verse related to Psalm 1823. We're studying Wednesday nights now. I've kept myself from mine iniquity. Not, uh, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. Amen. And go right out and do it anyways, because we don't really, not taking it that seriously. And what praying that God might need to do in our lives to make that happen. I hide your word in my heart that I would not sin against you. I've kept myself from mine iniquity. I don't sort of, well, I don't know, I probably should not look at that. I don't want it. Kill the old man. Revive the new man. As has been said, it's either one direction or the other. It's never... It's never just the middle you stay there. It's either growing in grace or backsliding. Psalm 119, 105, may it be your heart. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I want to stay on the narrow way following you, Jesus. I don't want to descend with the masses over the cliff of darkness. 
I don't want to stray and get lost. I want to keep your word right there in front of me, showing me how to live, showing me how to love you. Keep your lamps trimmed and burning. Spoken of Christ in Psalm 40, verse 8, may it be your heart as well. I delight to do thy will. Oh, my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. As we sang in that part of Psalm 119, my whole heart, wholeheartedly. That comes up a lot in Deuteronomy you've seen so far. My whole heart. Psalm 37, verse 4, delight thyself also in God. Delight. Happiness. You know, we don't come to someone and, you know, maybe we're having visitors and they show up for dinner. We've invited them and, oh, hey, open the door. I'm delighted you're here. Come on in. Who's going to go to that there? You know, actually, I think I just got a call. You know? <laughs> yeah, well, it's really nice to see you. Or, uh, you know, husband comes to the, to the, fiance, uh, to, to the would-be husband comes to the lovely lady and to convince her to marry him says, uh, so, uh, I don't know, you want to get married? What do you think? Or really the problem is, and we'll think about this later, that's not how you started with Jesus. That's not how you start in marriage. But too many marriages end for a lack of zeal and a lingering of lukewarmness where we get indifferent to one another and apathetic. And Jesus is saying, you're my bride. I'm your husband. I demand your full attention. I want to see you delighted in me. I didn't marry you for this. I didn't die on the cross for you so you could live like it doesn't matter and I'm not important. Delight yourself in the Lord. I think we're afraid to do that. I think it seems to be an unsophisticated Christianity. And I think that is the danger in Reformed churches. Oh, we don't want to be in danger of somebody thinking we're actually excited about something. That we're just excited about the Lord and prayer. Well, that's for infant Christians. We need to be sophisticated. No, we're supposed to be like children all the time. Children are always happy to see dad when he comes home. And that's what I love about it. One of the best things is to come home to your kids. Whether it's been a little while, but especially if it's been all day. Daddy! They usually run out and I say, stop, 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 till I stop the car. You know, like, but of course, you're delighted. They just, there's just that spontaneous lack of concern of whether they might get run over. That's what the parent has to pay attention to, you know. And that's the way we're to be with our Father. That's the way we're to be with Jesus. Beloved, pray that you are less likely to yawn in worship. And more likely to sing. Pray that you're less likely to yawn in private worship, family worship. More likely to sing. Pray the Spirit works in you that you can't help yourself. You just love Him. Pray that He revives your excitement for Him. And I think that is something to uh, warn our covenant children of. You grow up in the church, you have a great privilege. Some of us haven't, happened, haven't had, but the danger is you get too familiar and used to it. 
and you aren't giving yourselves to your own devotions or not seriously and you're not wanting to devour God's word and know it better and better for yourself. May the Lord protect you from that. May you be dedicated to devotions. May you be devoted to pray without ceasing. May you be eager to glorify God in all things. May you be eager to evangelize your neighbor. Remembering that the number one reason people come to church is someone they know has invited them. May you be excited to have private family and public worship. May what we sing in the morning outside the church really be true and may it show on our way here. I joyed when they said to me, let us go to the house of God. Aren't these great seats, Elder Renner? Isn't it great we get to do this? That's what we want our children to see from us. Here's what lukewarmness is. Here are some synonyms. Lukewarmness is, it means to be tepid. To have little enthusiasm. To be apathetic. To be half-hearted. To be indifferent. To lack passion. To be void of force. To have no zest. We have a phrase, he has a zest for living. She has a zest for living, you know. Even think about zest, you know, kind of the scraping of an orange or a lemon and the freshness and the smell and the way it kind of wakes you up. But there's a lack of that when we are like Laodicea with lukewarmness. There's an absence of conviction. There's a flavorlessness to our Christianity. Another way it could be put is what Christ says to the first church that he addresses in the first letter in the book of Revelation, the, the church of Ephesus. And though there are some things he can commend, just like with Laodicea, he says, here's the problem, though, thou hast lost thy first love. And similarly, if you don't stir it up and get it back, I'm going to turn your light off. I'll close your church. And yeah, I mean, I know there's a lot of people there and I know you're doing a lot of stuff, but you don't have a zeal for truth. You don't have a zeal for me. You just, it's just a charade. You're just playing church and being church. You go home and your children don't think you're serious because they don't see anything you've just talked about the rest of the week. Lost your first love. It's interesting that perhaps it's a bit of an intentional chiastic structure where the beginning and the end of the seven letters is you've lost your first love. I'm going to turn your light off. You are lukewarm. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Such strong language is to elicit a response. Sorry, excuse me, to solicit a response to get us to go, oh, I am naked. What's going on? I got to get serious for the Lord in my white robe washed in the blood of the lamb. 
Jesus loves me. He gave himself for me. I don't want to I don't want to be that wife that doesn't come to greet her husband when he comes home, that barely acknowledges that he's there and doesn't have any interest in him or how his day went. I don't want to be that wife. I don't want to be that bride to Jesus. Here is the opposite of lukewarmness. Look at verse 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Be zealous. Have zeal. Get excited about me. Be excited to serve and worship me. Be excited to have your whole life truly put me first. Let your children see that. Lead your children in that. Let your co-workers, let your, oh, perish the thought that people would say, I didn't know you were a Christian. Let it be seen in our lives. Let it be seen in what we love and what we hate. And let there not be a whole lot of middle of indifference so I could go either way. Especially as it relates to sin. Let us pray. Lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from evil. Especially as it relates to keeping ourselves from our sins. Spit lukewarm Christianity out of your mouth. Spit whatever lukewarm spirituality you might be tasting out of your mouth. Vomit it out of your heart. You know, when something's really bad for us physically, how does our body respond pretty immediately? Oh, oh, and you just can't go about the normal things. And eventually you, you throw up and you can't stop it. You can't help yourself. And you feel better afterwards. Don't let lukewarmness linger. And that's going to be the danger for you, but that's the message for you this evening. Don't let lukewarmness linger. Let us pray the Lord leads us to be revived, to be reformed, to be transformed, to be converted, to be excited, to love him deeply, to die for him and consider it honor. To be beaten for him for preaching the gospel and praise the Lord. Let us pray. Oh Lord, don't let lukewarmness linger in us. Help us to spit it out of our mouths so that you don't spit us out. Lord, let us hear it as a church, as this is a message for a church. And let the leaders, we leaders of the church, hear it. And protect us, O oh Lord, from lukewarmness. Protect us from getting tired, from getting bored, from being discouraged and standing back. Rather, let us stay on the front lines and lead the troops in saying, go forward, God helping us. We will overleap a wall. If God is for us, who can be against us? Help us to live the abundant life that you've given to us. Help us to love you fervently.
O Lord, forgive us for our lukewarmness and thank you for this warning and help us to spit it out and to breathe in zealousness as we would be jealous for your honor and your name. And we pray as you taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.